Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three of Armchair Philosophers. I'm your host, Andrew Ryan, and today we're going to be talking about lost places of myth. And when I say lost places of myth, what am I talking about? Well, as most of these episodes, I'm going to start with the most well-known examples of the topic, and that number one most well-known example of what I'm talking about is the uh, lost city and continent of Atlantis. Atlantis is, um, for all intents and purposes, a fictional island. Uh, some believe it's not fictional, and we'll get to that discussion. But it is a fictional island that was described in the works of Plato, who is a philosopher. Yes, we're dropping our namesake. I'm joined by my guest, Colin, co-host to the stars. And we will be going through various lost civilizations like Atlantis. Um, mostly the well-known ones you might have heard. There might be one or two you've not heard of. But for the most part, you probably have heard of these. Um, and discussing. Um, if they're real, what happened to them, the, the impacts of them, anything that really comes to our minds when discussing these uh, oddities of history. So, Atlantis, to start, like I said, was described in the works of Plato, specifically as a nation that had conquered multiple other empires, but when it came to the city of Athens, was unable to do so. He used it in a way to describe Athens' heroism in battling off of the uh, the Atlantean invasion, and he also described its location and its punishment for for falling out of favor of the gods was then sinking below the sea. Um, Atlantis has captured uh, our kind of imaginations as a culture, as a, humans, and it's inspired shows, it's inspired movies, it's inspired real-life professions, jobs, where people's entire role in life is to go out and search for Atlantis. And it's kind of been the bane of a lot of historians, um, and we can get into that. Um, Connor, what do you think of Atlantis? I've got a ton of thoughts. Um, did you want to? Are you going to introduce all of the others, or do you want to go one by one through them? We're going to do one by one. Atlantis is probably going to take the longest because there's the most to discuss with this one, and we'll all explain why as we go through it. Okay. But I just want your initial thoughts of Atlantis. Because as you know, there's the famous Disney movie. There's the famous History Channel shows where they literally go looking for it. There are literal yeah. maps, ancient maps with Atlantis on it. Um, so on and so forth. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on Atlantis? So, fun fact about me, I'm actually like a huge fan of like Atlantis and Lost Civilizations, Lost Worlds, all of it. Whether Whether the sort of actual history and mythology of it or just the, like the conspiracy 
theory stuff on it. I actually took a course back in university on um, like conspiracies and and things like this, like forbidden knowledge and and all these kinds of controversial things. And I wrote a, a paper. It wasn't very good, mind you, but I wrote a paper on um, like Atlantologists, like people who study Atlantis and and this conference that they all go to like once every year, or a few years or whatever. So it's, it's really cool to see like there's a ton of people with like really high credentials who like really believe in this being real and they have all kinds of sort of evidence or circumstantial evidence depending on your thoughts on it and, and how you kind of view the the archaeology or the history or whatever because it depends how you're it depends what you count as proof a lot of the time right mm -hmm. so so like you're saying about plato right i mean that is bringing um for a lot of people a certain amount of authority as soon as you have a a scholar a really really big classical scholar saying hey this thing existed and you know this is what it looked like and da da da, da. and then we use that scholar for a lot of other um to to authenticate a lot of our other statements and philosophies and and things it, it's very tempting to then be like okay this is an authority for this piece of now history as well this this mythology is no longer mythology because this person is talking about it however we also know that plato uses stories and, and analogies and so on and so forth. So that's why we also have the generally um, accepted idea that this is just pure myth, that he was using it to, for his own purposes, to present a political argument or whatever, right? Um, yeah, that being said, I'm really interested in something a little bit larger. I'm really interested in how um, the vast majority of cultures and world religions have flood myths, and the vast majority of them have um, lost civilizations or sort of ancient promised cities or oh in the past there was this golden era or golden place and ever since then we've we've been diluted from it we're trying to get back there so if you think of for example like the garden of eden is just kind of one example it doesn't include the the flood myth comes a little bit later right but we have both golden age kind of place where things used to be great in the past and then somehow we we lost that and then we're cast out and then a flood happens. And, you know, so we have all these really interesting things that happen throughout world religions and culture and history. And, and I love comparing those things. Um, that, yeah. That's my favorite. That's like some of my favorite stuff when it comes to Atlantis, because I love the breadth of it, really. Let's get in on this, though, because Atlantis in Plato's writing is not this utopia. It is the aggressor um, of to Athens, which he. Yeah, it's it depends. Utopia. Depends if you're Atlantean or not. <laughs> yeah, <know>? but <laughs> um, it's not like he does describe it. Um, I do believe he does describe it as advanced. Granted, we're yeah. talking oh, about yeah. a Bronze Age philosopher. So what that means could literally be steel armor. It could be better weapons. Like it doesn't have to be what we've always seen depicted, which is this kind of magical technology that they seem to With be the able crystals. to harness. There's always crystals involved. And I point to a real-world example of what you're talking about, Rome. Rome became Atlantis in the Dark Ages, or what, we, what most people would consider the Dark Ages. And really every civilization tried to become Rome and thought they had lost, and they had lost huge amounts of knowledge and information. And we know for a fact uh, what Rome had versus what they, they didn't have when it fell. And so mm -hmm, we look mm -hmm. at Atlantis... Like, it's it's kind of gotten on this roll almost because it's not real, where it becomes, well, because we don't have any evidence 
of an Atlantis. Like we're still mm -hmm. looking for it. And there's right, a lot right. of theories and we'll get into what those are and what it was or what could have been. Mm -hmm. um, but because it's not there, it kind of became this kind of mysticism movement a bit. And we will talk about that further with some other lost mm -hmm. civilizations where like it's hard to explain, but to people listening, there's this, there's this huge movement of people that believe Atlantis is the origin of some greater human race. Um, this, this brings in the, the, like there's elements of, of um, German, mm -hmm. right. World war two Aryan supremacy stuff and, and, yeah. and Hitler's uh, obsession with the occult and, and, not, and, and before that too, there's other people. Um, there was a bunch of like, people that were idolizing sort of Norse um, mythology and mythologizing as well. Like it, it's not just uh, um, during that time period, there's stuff happening before that too. People trying to find Atlantis. It's, the fascination it's a, is like, it's just so, it goes so far back. It's so cool. Yeah. It's, it's infiltrated a lot of various things because it's almost been co-opted. Like every time yeah, a mystery, yeah. this great appears, someone's like, Oh, that's mysterious enough that I can include it into my thing and make it make sense. So yeah. I'm going to start off by just laying down what I think Atlantis was. And sure. then you're going to lay down what you think Atlantis was. All right. So I think given who Plato is and given the story of Atlantis, it is an allegory. It is Plato's way of saying, no matter who you are, no matter how powerful you are, the gods protect Athens. And if you come at Athens, that's it. Um, it's it's a story. It's not real. Um, he may have used real world events because he witnessed things like this happening. But the play like Atlantis itself is not real. There, like he might have seen some things and been like, okay, I can draw upon that to make it more like because what what happens when you see the sea rise and like the, the thunderstorms? Because we know as a fact. Um, and there's a lot of evidence out there that sea levels rose during that period of time. And historians generally accept that there was some sort of great flood. Given the shared history of that kind of shared flood, like you were talking about, multiple cultures having a shared flood of some sort. And literal um, biological evidence, like there is dead wood out there they can trace and find out it was like drowned. There's various uh, like land masses that were definitely a lot bigger according to ancient maps and records that they're islands now. So like, there's a lot of evidence that this, this sort of thing happens this sort of drowning. And what do you think of that when you're, even if you're the mo one of the most rational people out there, a philosopher, you go, that's the gods. I, f I feel that's, this is where, He's he's trying to paint a picture of Athens being this unassailable force and the recompense paid by those who challenge it. So what do you think? It's been a while since I like studied it properly, so I'm just kind of giving my my armchair thoughts here, right? Yep. Um, that's the point. Yeah, I um I tend to agree. I think though that uh, I think it's interesting what you're saying about him using it as a way to empower Athens. Um, I think that uh, he was trying to um, 
he was he was trying to to paint a vision of what a uh, a perfect society what his perfect society could kind of look like and then he gave it sort of geographical elements that then make us think that that that's real so I, i'm of the you know i i there was definitely a time where i believed in it i was very obsessed by it and, and i loved mm. it um, and i still love it but i i have kind of slipped into the mainstream view now of yeah i i think that this being a real place especially a place in the atlantic that has sunk and yada yada I, like i'm a little more skeptical now that being said um there's there's some interesting sort of you know questions of could there have been um an island in the mediterranean that suffered a similar fate and that he was kind of bringing that in so i think it's the island of like menos or menelos or something that there was an island that that had suffered a volcanic eruption or something and you know so so he may have brought in something like that and then you're kind of wondering okay so then does this allegory shift a little bit is he bringing in a little bit more of the real um i'm not sure um but yeah i i think that he was really trying to to push his uh, his republic right his his idea of philosopher kings being the rulers of a perfect caste society and and this is how things should be run um i i think that's what he was uh trying to do and he was using it as uh, as an argumentative piece he was telling a story the best uh philosophers and the best uh wisdom teachers all use stories every single one of them um and so i think that's kind of what he was trying to do interesting because your theory kind of relies on the fact that he wants athens to be the better of the two but he in his story itself he paints it as being punished and not a utopia if you understand well, what I'm saying, like it's, yeah. it's the aggressor against Athens. It's so great. But at the same time, Plato is painting the picture of someone who hates it. Like on the other side of the, the, this, like if it's a real play, if it's his utopia, why is he not there? Why is he not on Atlantis' side in his story? Um, yeah, I think it's because he's speaking to Athenians and he's he's speaking to Athenians as an Athenian, but he's saying, look at like he's he's kind of doing a grass is always greener, but he's also saying, but if you go so too far with it, you'll get burned. He's doing the Icarus story at the same time. That yeah. that's that's kind of the the shtick that I, I get. I would that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like he's using this kind of framework as like, look at how great the civilization is. It's actually not that great. You're better off. It's like you're better off being where you're you're born like grass isn't always greener on the other side. Like, oh no, see, I, I disagree with that part because I do think that he's saying, like, the caste system in the Republic, for example, like, like this is how Atlantis is the way that Atlantis is set up and how it's ruled and stuff. I do think that he's trying to push his vision of of what a perfect society could look like. But oh, I think okay. that he's, I think that he's saying there's either limits to perfection or if you misuse perfection or if you abuse perfection, then it, 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 it will punish you. You will be punished by the gods. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about um, some evidence, the various, various pieces of evidence people use Ooh, to yeah. try to prove Atlantis exists. Um, the first one I already mentioned, um, it's a well-known, in fact, I think at this point, I would say confirmed fact the sea levels have risen uh during the bronze age era that kind of early even pre-bronze age the the sea levels rose in fact somewhat drastically um if records are to to be uh 
believed. Uh, there are articles uh, out there about forests that can they can carbon date and uh, do tests on. Um, once again, this is armchair kind of spouting out these facts. So um, if you want to look them up yourself, feel free at home. But uh, there are there is evidence out there that this happened. So right off the bat, it's possible that a place like Atlantis exists was really powerful and sunk. Okay. Um, was um, so the the sea levels were the sea levels rising and like high enough for Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um there are a lot of articles where it's like the land was sinking by almost half a millimeter a year up to 3 mil 3 meters a year. Um, and like, that's not really indicative of a massive flood, but, uh, we do know, we do have evidence of certain civilizations encountering this cause it's not just Plato recording a city being sunk. There are other cultures, in fact, cultures that have sunk themselves recording this, for example, the second piece of evidence people use is Atlantis is Crete theory. So Crete was an right. island. I think that's the island I was thinking of. Yep. Yeah. It was ruled by the Minoan civilization, which was at that time, according to a lot of um, other historians during that time period, very powerful. Um, you might have heard the term Minotaur. Minotaur comes from a myth about Minoan culture. Um, for those who don't know, that's where this org comes from. The king of Minos's wife had sex with a bull and gave birth to the Minotaur, hence the name. And so it's kind of interesting because we know Crete used to be this massive island and then something happened with flooding and it, according to Minoan scholars, this was like a great, terrible uh, wrath of God event. So very similar to Atlantis, if you actually read into it. Very, very similar to Plato's recording of Atlantis. And basically sunk beneath the waves and lost all of its power in the Mediterranean. And so most people point to the real world Crete as being Atlantis. Um, a lot of Atlantean scholars vehemently disagree with this theory. Because they like the picture of Atlantis as being between North America and Europe and not south of the Greek peninsula, which is where Crete would have been, which is now just a small stretch of high peaked islands because the water is so high. And I think, I think if I were to put my money down, if I were to be able to dig into Plato's, like sit him down and have a conversation with him. I think there's a good chance he might have been either inspired by Crete or using Crete as some sort of allegory, but he didn't want to use the name for some, the actual name of the people for some reason. I don't really yeah. know why he would use the name Atlantis and not like the name the, the Greeks called that island, but there might be some reason. There's, there's good reason. Like, I mean, we've seen before how, um, uh, like imitators when when you know we have issues of like copyright nowadays 
when you can't quite say like the name of a fast food chain or, a fit chain or something. So instead of saying like McDonald's, you say like McDonald's or whatever. And like, we all know what they're talking about, but then they can get away with saying it. It almost reminds me of that. That's kind of what he's doing. Yeah. But they don't have that. Like they don't have that restri- like copyright restriction, right? They don't no, have any no. of that. But it's still, it's still like a, a rhetorical device. Like it's still, a, yeah. it's still something used. It just uh, feels yeah. weird because I feel like he would have accomplished the same thing. Like, it's almost like he explicitly goes out of his way not to use the same name. And there, that reason eludes me, if that's what he was trying to do. I think it's because he really wanted to make a, a imaginary place. So that way he could yeah. do more with it. If he did a historical thing, then he'd have to adhere to all the history. And he yeah, wasn't people trying to could do just that. go, oh, well, they didn't actually have any of this great stuff you're talking about. Yeah. Well, yeah the other thing... They existed. <laughs> the other thing that, that Plato does... Um, in some of his arguments is he writes these, these dialogues with, um, with other people and he, he'll like, he'll write other people and they'll say things and they'll are, they'll, you know, he'll make an argument, but they'll be just saying things that like he wants them to say. So like, he'll be like, Hey, here's my argument. And then he'll present the argument by having a dialogue. And like, obviously he's trying to make a point. So the person who's against his point is going to say dumb things. Essentially. So he does that too. So we kind of already see, that in some of his work, um, it's actually it's debated right now whether Socrates was even a real person or if he just like made up Socrates. Like, there's this whole other like thing whether he was real or not. Anyway, that that's like a whole other yarn ball. But like, I but, think that, yeah, I get what I you're saying. His yeah, his way of talking, I think, might lend a little bit of credence to that. Yeah. All right, and the final piece of evidence that people throw out is known as the sea peoples have you heard of the sea peoples i have but i would really like to hear you describe it more i I, something to do with egypt i think so for the people at home uh you can google the sea people and you will immediately get exact on wikipedia briefly describing what they were and it was basically the civilization uh, that is hotly debated oh, yeah. on where they come oh, yeah. from. They basically appeared to multiple early empires and destroyed them. Uh, they stopped an aggressive expansion of Egypt. Egypt would have been a much larger empire if these people had not shown up and fought them multiple times. They destroyed um, some other ones that were not even... They destroyed Biblios, Urugit. Um, they destroyed... It's like uh there's tons tons and tons and tons of ones um there are several hypotheses on what, who they were here are a few that i find interesting some believe they're from manoa that's an interesting one some believe they're from greece they migrated from greece if you look at the depictions of sea people um they carry weaponry and dress very similar to early Bronze Age Greek people. Um, some believe they're also from Troy. And those three theories are all we're really going to touch on because there are more. Um, but the most common kind of theory is they came from somewhere north of greece the greek peninsula Mm -hmm. which if you look at plato's description of atlantis 
matches the direction <laughs> of where Atlantis was. <laughs> That's kind of weird. But, I mean, I don't know. that Coincidence is happening. Um, and these people did fight early Greeks, by the way. There are recorded Greek writings on these people. In fact, several wild cultures... That's pretty wild. Like even 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 if you don't believe in, in like an Atlantean myth or, or like a being real or whatever, like that's just really cool, really interesting that we really don't know even today. It's hotly debated because all we the best written stuff we have on them is from the Egyptians because they ca- they keep the best records during this. And time. that'd be really old, be really yeah. old. Yeah. And the Egyptians themselves don't even know who they're fighting. <laughs> Like, so that, that makes it really tough. Like the Egyptians describe what they look like. They describe where they come from, how they fought, but they're like, they call them like from the sea. Like they don't know why they're even here fighting them. Um, a lot of people believe they might've been like a pirate group, but Hmm. to take down multiple empires, it, it strikes me as odd that a pirate, like when I th- think of pirates, I don't think of like a massive fleet. Like at that point, they're not pirates to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I know that, that that's definitely a big. Uh, I, I remember reading about this. You, you know more about it than I do. But yeah, I, I know that this is a piece of evidence that, you know, Atlantis collapses under the waves and then all these people, where do they go? Well, yeah. then they, they take territory, right? And, and uh, you hear similar stories um, in. Uh, in um, uh, South America, I believe, Mexico, South America, um, in some of their like um, stories and, and myths and things about sea people as well. But again, like, I, I, I don't know if it's just a collective, um, a, a collective consciousness thing, right? Um, or if it's like an actual historical. No, thing. these fights definitely happened because there's mm-hmm. evidence that there's evidence of them writing. Like there's destroyed towns, mm. um, uh, like that archaeologists have dug up, and that match the records and depictions of these kind of their inland and sea land invasions. Um, so we know we we like I would when I say we know, I want to say this is what historians generally accept. This could change with the next thing we dig up, obviously, if we dig up some big book that tells us all the answers. But we generally accept this happened, that these people existed and this happened. Um, is it Atlantis? Historians would do not accept that, no. Uh, in fact, if you want to know the historians' general stance on Atlantis as a whole, uh, historians think of Atlantis as fictional. They think it's a fictional um argument he's trying to make like i do and they also believe that he was inspired by a real story and he's trying to use it as an allegory or a metaphor uh plato that is um but these few pieces of evidence that i found on atlantis are super interesting to think about and i would definitely recommend anyone at home to read more on the sea people in atlantis um, because it is super interesting. Um, and when you get, cause the sea people are also described as being more advanced than, cause they had to be to take down these empires that were 
in all intents and purposes, supposedly way bigger and way more powerful than a group of people on a boat should be. At least you would think so. So let's uh, let's finish off this talk about Atlantis with its impact on 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 our modern kind of mm. consciousness. So I already mentioned the pseudo history, the kind of weird science fiction religious combination thing that a bunch of people came up with. You'll usually hear them recur referred to as mystics or cultists. Um, then they were have like Colin mentioned Nazis based a lot of their kind of philosophy on the these foundational principles that a superior race existed at one point in time, and of course that benefits a narrative when you're trying to argue you're the superior race. Um, I don't, I don't, I'll make it straight up. I don't believe any of any of the pseudo science history stuff from what, what a cursory glance I've read, but beyond that, Atlantis has inspired, I think, a lot of treasure hunters and curiosity in people. I think that's a good thing about Atlantis. It's inspired kind of a look at our world. Um, maybe it's even achieved what Plato was trying to achieve, which is imagining a better world and that we could lose it so easily, and that his wrath of gods is like just the natural course of like no utopia is safe forever kind of thing kind of argument he's making i don't know what do you think colin what do you think of the impact of atlantis um yeah i'm really interested in the last so so from what i understand atlantis became a much bigger thing in the last oh, i want to say 100 years maybe even less but it, it like it hit pop culture um mm -hmm. And and as you were saying about like the occultist stuff as well, so like I kind of include that sort of in how I'm talking about pop culture. Um, and well, it really, yeah, it it's really definitely took not off. part of Plato's original myth at all. Right, right. But like 300, from, from what I understand, I think 300 years ago or 400 years ago, they did not have the same kind of fascination with Atlantis in in the same way that we do now. Like it's it's kind of taken on a a new cultural um, benchmark in a way. Um, which is just really kind of uh, interesting, I guess, of of like not just not just like okay, we're in a different time period, so we think about things differently, but like we think about this historical thing differently throughout history. Like that's just really trippy to me, um, and uh, I, I think I think that's interesting. Um, I definitely think that it inspires, um, but I, I really do think that it is a. I think that it fits into what I was saying earlier about um, that collective. Um, uh, collective unconscious idea that there is a uh, sort of a secret magical place that we used to belong to or used to have, and then we've we've lost it, and now we're always trying to get back there. I think that that mm -hmm. is something that is like deep rooted, deep deep rooted in uh, in human thought and, and story, and story especially. Yeah, and we'll we'll touch on that on the end because this is kind of what all of these mm -hmm. end up being, honestly. Mm -hmm. So our next one is one. I'm less acquainted with and it is some viewers at home might be uh, it is known as Aram or Aram of the pillars and where was this mentioned well this was mentioned in the Quran the Muslim holy book and 
it's specifically mentioned as a place that you can get to. And this passage reads, have you not considered how your Lord dealt with Ad with a Ram who had lofty pillars? Um, it's a, it sounds like a geographically location, basically. And this kind of entered thought as a real place at some point. It's mentioned a lot in video games. Uh, Uncharted series mentions this city for really? those who have played That's that. That's so cool. That's so yeah. cool. Um, this one is a lot less possible than Atlantis because it exists somewhere in a, the desert. Um, honestly in the bible but babylon we kind of know existed uh this one all we really have to go off of is the Quran and apparently some tablets we did, dug up called the ebla tablet uh which is the earliest mentioned of it so it's like we knew it was in the Quran, and then we found evidence it was mentioned even earlier which leads people to believe it might have been a real place at one point. And its description is very minimal um, as far as I, the research I could find. So, do you know anything about this place? I Iran? don't know. This is, like, I, I like to think that I know a lot about, you know, religion and myth and stuff, but that's actually one that I, I don't know, so I'm really interested just to hear this. Um, yeah. So, some believe it's a tribe, mm. uh, the tribe of Ad. That's referring to the pillars as in temples, lofty pillars. Um, mm. Some believe the lofty pillars are implying these people were, you know, heads in the sky, kind of fold themselves, I guess I would. Mm. I don't know, like too much, not feet. You know, when people say feet, your feet are on the ground, right? You're based in reality. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what people are trying to think. I, it's hard to put that because that's like a modern interpretation of that right. saying, right? Which and is it's super... hard to put yourself in a person's mind back then and say that's what they were thinking too. Yeah, and you don't know what the translation even is. So, like, even just the language, yep. let alone the history part, yeah, or the cultural, yeah. It is uh, a legendary city that was destroyed by God. Uh, which is interesting because we know several of those uh, in Catholic myth. So this relates back, right again back to your shared history, shared human mm -hmm. history, this consciousness we all share. I like to believe that is like an oral tradition. Like humans have things that happen and they play the telephone game long enough and eventually instead of being the real event, it becomes the myth and the story mm -hmm. people tell, you know? Well, yeah, and you know, it's interesting because on the one hand, you would someone would say, well, if you have so many instances of this, if you have so many, you were saying that a lot of these myths end up kind of being very similar where, okay, they end up kind of being destroyed by gods or there are, there, you know, these amazing, holy, awesome, sacred places that then end up getting destroyed and, you mm -hmm. know, by hubris or whatever. And it's like, okay, if we have so many of those, then does that mean it's, it's true and that there's probably, there probably was a place? you know, that, that existed and that's why all these legends are coming from it? Or is it that, no, this is a storytelling thing that, that humans have just 
really taken on, or this is something that, you know, the way humans are, are built and the way we're wired and the way that we think that, you know, grass is always greener, for example, slips into our stories in such a way that then we produce all of these. And then they all seem so similar because it's a similar psychological storytelling thing that we're doing. It's, it's really interesting, but like, you don't have a good answer one way or another because that, that, um, that coincidence sort of contributes to both, both ideas. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of those things that it's almost like if you found these places, you would be disappointed. <laughs> the idea of them is more important than the actual place themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, because like this place, uh, some people think it might be Sodom and, G and Gomorrah. Some people think it might be Apple. Uh, I mean, Babylon, sorry, itself. And um, those theories are pretty clear why they might be because both of those places uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, destroyed by God, and Babylon. Uh, in in the Bible, I think Babylon was destroyed by God, if I'm correct. Or at least the Tower of Babel. And Babylon itself is a city we don't really know exactly where it is. We have a, we have a good theory. Um, I will say that. It's not... We know Babylon did exist, and we have a good theory of where it is. Just like Troy. It's not really a lost place of myth, I would say. Mm -hmm. But we're going to when we start getting into that, it's like, how do, how do we separate these places that are, we know they're myth versus like Troy and Babylon where they're, they're, they might like in the battle of Troy, minotaurs and harpies and stuff exist like in the, the odyssey. <laughs> and it's like, how do we separate real places with mythological surroundings versus like these places? And like you said, Plato's a, a reliable source. Atlantis, right. It, we go off of that thinking it's real. Right. It's tough. It's very tough to say. So I guess I'll move on to our next example of a lost civilization. Um, for those at home, uh, I didn't find much when looking at Aram, but if you want to look for yourself, I suggest it. It's one I definitely will be reading into more because I love this sort of stuff. Lemuria or nice. Lemuria spelt with an I instead of an E, is actually a more modern one than you might think. 19, I mean, 1864, sorry. Uh, Philip Schlater, a famous zoologist, came up with the theory that because there were lemurs in Madagascar, and in uh, fossils specifically in Madagascar and India, but not in Africa or the Middle East, there must be some mythical continent that connected the two existing continents that disappeared at some point. And it had sunken beneath the waves because he basically <laughs> hijacked most of Atlantis, honestly, if I'm being, <laughs> if I'm being very harsh here. Um, and at first, Lemuria was just this lost continent that allowed the lemurs to cross that kind of land barrier. Uh, that... And it was a popular theory up until the 1960s where Alfred Wagner said, no, wait, we were Pangea at one point. <laughs> and continents drift. And that's what we today accept as reality. So this, uh, before we had this theory, we accepted that there used to be giant continents 
And you that's why you will see like maps with Atlantis and the Myria on them, because we have that's all we really had to go off of was ancient people telling us these places exist. And then this guy Philip Schlater comes along and goes, Well, if Atlantis and stuff like that exists, well and lemurs exist on these two far off places, clearly had have to have some way to get there. And he's right, you have to have some way to get there. So it's just our kind of understanding of how the world works and his history and how everything came together that are, we go through these various theories. Like we believed once the sun rotated the earth and now we don't. But the more important, important part about Lemuria and why it's on here today is it's part of what we were talking about uh, earlier, something known as theosophy. And for those of yes. you at home who don't know what theosophy is, it's the religion that believes uh Founded by Helena Blavatsky, can't pronounce that right, a Russian, by the way. It's a religion that believes all religions are basically the same. They all originate at the same point. And basically, um, there's an ancient secret brotherhood of masters uh, that were founded in Tibet. You can read up all on this, but the point of this is there's some ancient... They originated as an ancient, powerful master race in Lemuria once again, and Atlantis. And she co-opted many of these kind of ancient lost continent myths or civilization myths for her own. So, do you know anything about Lemuria? I do know a few things about Lemuria, and I know a very little bit about theosophy as well um but not 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 a ton okay so um theosophy what i know about theosophy mostly is that um like you were saying um about that uh i'm sorry i always forget her name um helena blavatsky yeah helena blavatsky um and uh there's like there's this huge book that has i think all of her Stuff. I'm not sure if it's like the quote unquote the holy book of that movement, but like there is a, mm-hmm. a giant book of like all her stuff, and I've always wanted to read it because I, I just really want to like what is this crazy thing? Oh, it's off the rails. Like oh, even just reading, taking a look at it. No, but even just reading like their websites and the yeah. wiki, it's like holy crap! Like I almost need a dictionary of their terms beside me, if you understand right. what I'm saying. So they'll refer to things a lot that I have so no here's, clue what are. Yeah, here's the thing with theosophy and a lot of other, like especially modern occult. So, so you have you have a lot of occult stuff coming out of uh, the 19th century, right? In Victorian kind of, um, they would host things. Uh, have you ever heard of mummy parties? Where they, they would have like, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. So they would have like mummy, or they would have these like strange artifacts from you know this this strange place across the sea or whatever. And they would, they would all kind of, like, it's especially like, you know, rich, rich folk kind of getting together and, and just nerding over this stuff. Right. And it's ethically, there's some questions there as well. Um, right. Theosophy seems to be an extension of that in some ways, but where they're taking, like you just said, how they kind of take like all religion is sort of the same. Like they're sort of taking, they're, they're taking bits and pieces from like different places and things and mashing it together and sort of making, that's what, that's what you see in a lot of modern occult movements. Um, and there's, there's 
I, I don't know. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I don't want it to sound like there's like judgment in my voice. It's really fascinating. But like a lot of it is synthesis. A lot of it is alchemy, right? Where you're taking those things. So when you see them like referencing crazy things that you're like, oh my gosh, I need a dictionary. Chances are they're referencing things that are just from different religions or different philosophies or different whatever. So like just on Wikipedia or whatever, I just pulled it up and it's like talking about, yeah, they're taking things like Hinduism. They're taking things like Neoplatonism. They're taking things from, you know, um, I see, like, just in the symbol, I see the, uh, the, um, uh, there's the Ouroboros, Ouroboros the Judas yeah. star, the Ankh, the, exactly, um, right? And like, those are three different, yeah, there's, there's the, the Hindu, there's the, anyway, so yeah, yeah, um, and there's, there's, yeah, anyway, so, so they're just, they're, they're mashing all that together, anyway, yep, which is really, cool. really, says really it all. it's almost, it's very, very modern, right, in terms of mm. that, that, um, uh, it's it's moving it's moving past sort of the purity and the boxes of no this religion has this this and this and like don't go like outside those symbols or those lines whereas this is saying like all of it just all of it put it all together um yeah. anyway then with lemuria i i don't know a ton i know that it takes place it, it's it's often said to be like the asian atlantis because it takes place in the southeast pacific sort of area that's what i've heard and then it, it goes from the southeast pacific and then you said into madagascar is that right so it covers that whole like like India, yeah, there's like several maps with it existing that you can look yeah. up. Yeah, and they talk about it in Theophsy as the origin. The tw there's like twelve different types of man that originated there. Like, I really can't go into that because it, it would take all podcasts to explain. Explain Theophsy. No, no, that's that. that's okay. Yeah, um, I just, but I, I, I don't think that there's a coincidence that these things are uh, being related to one another, right? So there's, there's no coincidence that. Um, you know, not not to talk too much about Nazis because nobody likes Nazis, but there's no coincidence that that the Nazis were fascinated with occult stuff and Atlantis, right? And there's there's no coincidence that Theosophy is also involved with Lemuria, and, and you know what I mean? Like these things are are connected in that way of these interests. These well, the Nazis this... were obsessed with Lemuria as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. So so all these things are are connected in terms of they they attract the same kinds of thoughts, and these thoughts form sort of complexes and these these complexes form sort of then ideas when one person references one thing then you jump into all of it right so yep and i think theosophy is just a really good example of that um and and i i i'm not surprised that it took off as much as it did and i'm not surprised that victorian era rich folk are getting fascinated with occultism you know in a in an well, era of yeah it, it is it is very fascinating and and now we have um you know, casuals like myself who are like, oh yeah, this stuff is amazing. And like, oh, I, you know, I saw it in this movie or I saw it in this video game that came up and like, that's so cool. And I'm going to do some, some research on it. I'm going to read this book about it. And like, yeah, it just, it's really cool. It's really awesome. Um, but it's yeah. just, I, it's no coincidence that all that stuff is connected as well. I think it's important. And I'll just, just to, to yeah, I'll just say this. It's um, for those at home, it's hard to talk about uh, these lost civilizations without bringing up the Nazis. And there's a good reason for that. And that's because they were obsessed with the cult. And on top of that, um, it's very easy to point to the uh, Lemuria or Atlantis and go, there was once, um, and there were literally people uh, like Plato or well known groups of people in the world that believe that there was a greater race, a utopia at some point, living in these places and going, that was us. It's it draws you a base, a base of the of of belief, and people go, oh yeah, that was us, and it makes them it, it allows people to rally to your cause. It's 
it's them basically taking advantage of existing uh, myth. Uh, we're the superior, so we're just going to take everything good about everything. And that was us. The superior, obviously, the superior people did that. Um, and obviously, that's just them taking it without, <laughs> without really uh, thinking twice about it, because the, the, their end goal isn't anything more than trying to prove they're the superior race. So. And I just wanted to say that because you will hear them come up a lot, especially in future. There's some uh, there's some really interesting uh, um, like race race theory, critical race theory, sort of discussions around that as well. And um, yeah, there's 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 a ton of stuff that like I'm not necessarily well versed in, but it's it it there's surprising there's a surprising amount of like contemporary sort of work that can be done in like these popular movements as well, which is really interesting. Yeah, it it can get really uncomfortable. At least yeah, it can. Hundred percent, it can. Yeah. When I talk, when I when like if I went into theos theophysy, there would be discussion on race superiority because that is an integral part of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, and I'm not talking about what we today perceive as race theory. I'm talking about they literally start off with there's twelve different species of mankind. And each one is different, and there's and it's almost like a hierarchy, That's and wild, one is yeah. innately superior than the other, so on and so forth. And it just that kind of thinking is uncomfortable to dive into because mm -hmm. I I I cannot be further from that in myself. But with that, let's all uh, take a five minute break, stand up, stretch like comment and subscribe the video love it like it rate subscribe if you want to know what our next episode is going to be it's going to be on game environments and atmosphere hmm. and set like basically the worlds that we find or so uh we find in video games um and we will be talking about a select uh specific video game um obviously you can't talk we we will try to talk generally about the game environments, but we will have to have examples to draw upon. Um, as for this one, um, let us know in the comments what your thoughts are. Let us know what your lost civilization of choices, what you like looking into. Did you get into this? I got into this because I was really into the Freemasons and the Illuminati, which is an entirely other subject. Nice. But again, um, no coincidence is connected, right? Like, no coincidence. It, it all leads down the same rabbit hole. You yeah, go into yeah. secret societies, Atlantis ends up there. Um, yeah. You go into strange occult, Atlantis ends up appearing out of nowhere. Are you going to become um, a Freemason? Are you a Freemason? <laughs> no. My grandfather was, but I... Very cool, very cool. Yeah. Not as secret as you would think. Nope. Um... The, the real Freemasons, that is. Um, unless you believe the real Freemasons are just a mask. But uh, I would also point out the Shriners are also mm -hmm. a Freemason contingent, basically. Yeah. So, high, high rank, higher level. But, yeah. So, yeah. I think the Atlantis Disney movie... Is probably the thing most people will come to when they yeah. come into this discussion, right? 
and there's a, there's a lot there that um, like they did a lot with things like the crystals and the um, uh, the different cultures, all the languages, you know, were this were the same. They were able to speak the language. And there's there's a lot of things there that um, speak to speak to our ideas. So that was interesting. I love it. It's, it's such an underrated movie. Oh my gosh! Even if you love it, yeah. it's it's still underrated. It's it can never be under underrated or overrated enough. I think the creativeness of their approach to like the two sides was really what sold it for me. Mm-hmm. I could not get over how cool it was that we had this steampunk kind of technology on the one side that obviously we didn't have in real life. We didn't have that ship. We didn't have these guys in gas masks with like aircraft carriers. Like, you know what I mean? Like the Yeah, it was own, awesome. Like this cool visual style for like the airplane humankind in their industrialism like, yeah exactly <laughs> this industrialism and then on the other side you have this kind of golem-esque magical nature-based civilization yeah there there are also like fictional lost city i was debating on talking about some of them but mm. lapida from uh, the Castle in the Sky, Hideo Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. To, I will be talking about him a lot in this podcast, but in in podcasts in general, um, not this one specifically, this episode yeah, specifically. But this kind of fascination, like you said, uh, of a world lost, kind of always permeates us. And Indiana Jones kind of dives into that even though mm-hmm. it's more focused on lost artifacts, they kind of search for something that may or may not exist. excites a lot of people. Yeah, um, I think there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I were to start, I would say watch the Atlantis Disney movie and then maybe read Plato's work. Uh, just specifically the stuff on Atlantis. And then from there, you'll have a pretty good understanding of what most of the... uh, There are a lot of books out there that people have written on this, so there's no shortage of things for you to dive into. There's a number of like good historical ones. They're, They're not all like wild... Theory, theory things, although there's tons of those too, but there are some pretty good like history ones too. That, like, yeah, it's, it's what happens. you want to get into. Do you, yeah. you want to go into the wild theory cultist stuff? Because I actually find that sort of stuff interesting from a meta perspective. I like think, seeing what humans can come up with when they get creative. Uh, I don't like I, I naturally don't believe the stuff I read when I pick up the book, the Necronomicon stuff. But I do like reading that stuff because it come it comes at me as like I like that kind of mystery creative angle that these people are trying to prevent. It's um present, sorry. Alrighty. Don't worry, you didn't miss anything. We're just having a casual conversation while on those five minutes. All right, but we are back to our main topic. So so we've discussed three. Um, let's talk about the next one. Fool. 
Do you know anything about Thule before I start? How do you spell it? T-H-U-L-E. Also spelled T-I-L-E. Sounds kind of familiar, but not off the top of my head, no. Just like Atlantis, it is Greek in origin. It is mentioned as the farthest north location in ancient Greece and Roman literature. And it is, was marked multiple times on their maps. Uh, many theories have thought it's somewhere north of Scotland, uh, and that being Iceland, or maybe even Greenland itself. Uh, like one of the many islands that surround Greenland. Um, Thule is almost always, when it's referred to, referred to as Ultima Thule. Um, as it's, the meaning of that is far, farthermost, like far away, as a distant place located beyond the borders of the known world. And there are a lot of people who have gone to try to find this place and even name places. There's a, even a United States Air Force airfield what? named Thule Air Base in Greenland because they, they thought it, that's where Thule was supposed to be. Like, they're like, we're going to name it Thule because this is probably where it was supposed to be. Um, who came up with this place? Well, a guy by the name of Pythias. Pythias is the first person we have any information on in terms of Thule. And he's a Greek explorer. And he mentions going to Thule um, in his now lost work on the ocean. So, yeah. Another... This one didn't sink. Interesting. Well, not destroyed by the gods, just a far-off place. Far enough that it's almost always out of touch. But I've been there. <laughs> you know, like one of those places. And I can tell you all about it. This one, more than anything, it harkens to the... It reminds me of Skull Island from King Kong, if I'm honest. Of that kind of place where, like, dinosaurs still roam. And if you look up images of Thule, you'll even see like strange, those beasts they used to draw maps surrounding it. And it's kind of like where the wild things roam. Kind of a place. you have any thoughts on it? No, I, like, I genuinely, I haven't heard a ton a ton about this. I'm kind of interested in what you're saying. Well, that's basically it. Like, unfortunately, most of it is from poetry and writings and various books. Like, Edgar Allan Poe talked about Thule in a poem oh, okay. known as Dreamland, which is pretty interesting. Um, like, it is infiltrated much of culture. And once again, guess who shows up? The Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> Another place they think was the origin of the Aryan race. 
Anywhere that works. <laughs> Any, basically, all these places. They're all origins. All of them. Yep. Any place they can grab at. So, to me, we haven't really talked about this. But I'll go back for a second. I think Aram, Lemuria, and Thule all kind of, I think, Aram and Atlantis hold a similar thing where punishment of the gods in some way, shape, or form it was lost, whether that be to the sea, the sands. The sea is a more common theme because I believe the seas rising and great floods was an actual event. But it's not like being lost in the sands is an uncommon thing either for ancient cities and when you hear them in popular myth. But Lemuria and Thule are like, Lemuria was an answer to a problem. And a problem of how do lemurs get from this place to this place? Well, there was a land continent between them. No, the continent's shifted. That's the real answer. What's Thule then? Thule's a place someone claimed existed. Probably does exist. We just call it by a different name. Uh, theories include Iceland, Greenland, but like I said before. But this kind of... There's kind of another place, I guess I'll move on to, that is very similar to Thule. Um, similar area to Avalon. Do you know anything about Avalon? Uh, yeah, this is Arthurian myth, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, what do you know about Avalon? I was getting confused with Camelot. So I know Camelot is is the it's been a long time since I've visited Arthurian myth. Or is Avalon the realm? You, you know what? Avalon you is I'm not gonna the pretend to know Isle of Fruit. That's what it literally means. It is usually where the fairies live, like Oberon and his mm -hmm. queen Titania. Um it's kind of it's kind of where all the magical people live, I guess I would say. Like Morgan Le Fay. It is. It has an actual island that people think it is, because as many might know or may not know, that Arthurian myth was actual myth. Like, act people actually believed it in kind of England. Uh, this was this was history. Like, uh, like when Christian religion dominated um, that kind of area of England and Ireland. Uh, people, local people added on to it and King Arthur, the, it's a very British centric mythology, obviously, because mm -hmm. King Arthur's the king that leads Britain for eternity. And he's the, he, he's Jesus of their mythology where he dies, but he's destined to be reborn again, to lead them once again. Um, and it's kind of like, God, but he's not Jesus itself because they Arthurian myth is very Catholic. Uh, God himself blesses each knight of the round table on their quest. It God, the powers of God fight the evil Orgel of Fae and like the evil black knights of that myth. And I'm doing a very hack job of explaining Arthurian myth. No, but, I love it. And <laughs> uh, it's it's that's basically what it is. It's a very 
it's it once was like a belief and obviously fairy tales and stories and writings have kind of clouded the original myth a bit so it I would be lying if I said I didn't know what was originally believed versus what was written down to create a fantasy world, you know? Um, like, what the, there are many different accounts of what King Arthur was and what happened, and some of them are probably just stories people thought sounded cool of this kind of character. But Avalon itself is what we're talking about here today. And it is believed that is where King Arthur Arthur was buried. And it is believed to be the island of Glastonbury. So for those of you who live near or around the UK, you can visit. <laughs> look at look a ticket soon. TM. When COVID is no more. And I'm already dating this podcast. It is like Camelot in that um, there's it's super hard to define where it was. That that the best guess, like I said, is is that island of Glastonbury. But like, I how do you know where these places are? Like, they're never really. Unlike Plato describing exactly where Atlantis is, these places are always described more as like a thing, like describing what it is and less describing where it is for, in, in a sense. So both Thule and Avalon share kind of similar themes of kind of like these lost islands of power um, where um, and myth where like great beings and magic roam free um, dinosaurs and King Kong and I just find that super interesting because we now have like a few themes that we can separate these kind of lost this lost civilizations or places into most of these are lost like islands themselves but yeah I think when it comes to this phenomena, I think people want to believe that humans were great and we just need to get back there again. Yeah. Or that there's something just out of reach that if we get there, we unlock something and we're part of a special group. Yeah. yeah. Completely agree. Like... For each one, there's a reason why groups look for, like Atlantis. Like, what happens if we actually find Atlantis? It destroys a lot. Like, assuming in a world Atlantis exists and we find it, it destroys a lot of our preconceived notion of what history looks like. Because now here's a civilization, assuming it's too standard and had advanced technology. And let's... Let's give it benefit of the doubt and say it even has technology better than the Romans had. Uh, it's probably probably not the case. Probably as good or worse than Romans if it actually did exist according to Plato's description. But let's 
let's go with the very mythological um like technology we can't even understand approach to it like discovering that sort of technology or at least something that resembles it and we have no clue how it would would have worked without some sort of unknown thing like that would destroy not only our interpretation of history but physics itself i feel if we and, found that in Atlantis. yeah it's um there is there is a, an interesting argument that um you know atlantologists and and these others these other fringe historians bring up and it's an uncomfortable truth but like that if something too big is found it will take too much of mainstream history and what we understand and like you know people's phd's are on the line like you know and, and so i'm not saying they're necessarily right but like it is it is an argument and you know we do see similar things play out on smaller scales at least about people wanting to protect their work against you know you know even though this thing might be true if it comes out, it kind of disproves their entire life's work. So, you know, let's kind of put that put that to bed, you know. Yeah. Like like I said, the Nazis wanted to find these places to prove their superiority complex or to get get some sort of power over the enemy they were fighting. Um, most people want to find these places for the recognition, the bragging rights, or the money involved. Um, some want to find it for the historical context. Um and that's if you're looking and some want to find it for the adventure. Uh, I don't know. I think that's always there for most of these people, but I think that it's always accompanied by the greed or the, um, that like it belongs in a museum mentality or the, like that kind of, there's some, always some other motivating force to look for these places. Yeah. Which leads us to probably the last one. Um, for this podcast episode and another well-known one and another one that had a movie about it. El Dorado. El Dorado. The Golden City. A city according to common belief made entirely out of gold itself. Obviously a very motivating reason to go look for it. <laughs> I mean, when the streets and buildings are made out of gold, you're going to be rich. Uh, its name, by the way, literally means the golden man or the golden one. It went from being, it actually did originally start off as a single man, by the way, the, the legend. It wasn't a city. And eventually became a city. And then it became a kingdom. <laughs> and you see where this is going? And now it's like as powerful as these Aztecs. It's an empire. So that's the telephone effect. Uh, where the legend just keeps increasing as we go. We talked about a bit about how that happened to Atlantis and Lemuria. Where Lemuria was literally just an explanation. And then it became something else with theosophacy. Uh, Spanish conquistadors were the first ones to hear about this place. And they actually found a real location of where, like, the real lake described to them <laughs> in the legend. But no city was there. 
So that you can find maps of their expeditions to find El Dorado. Um, you can even find another city mentioned by Edgar Allan Poe, by the way. Funny connection there. Uh, some thought the Holy Grail might be there. I don't know why the Holy Grail would be in an ancient Aztec or Mayan city, presumably, but, you know, all further power to them. <laughs> Basically, yeah, I don't... This one... It didn't actually, in the lore, mention a city. It started out as a single man, and it was mentioned to be near a lake. That lake ending up being a real life lake, uh, as described. So, like, obviously, uh, and as far as I know, this legend is one that the natives told to the uh, conquistadors. Maybe to, like, try and get rid of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's there's a giant golden city somewhere out there. <laughs> Just keep going north. <laughs> but they thought they were gods, right? So... At the time, yeah. they told them this. Because, and they would believe this, because how much gold was in South America before the Conquistador showed up was enough to not only make the Spanish basically a new empire, but also destroy them when they lost it all and their treasure fleet sank. And it's used in a lot of pirate myths for that reason, the ancient Spanish treasure galleons. They had to literally build boats to take the amount of gold they found back. So when someone goes, hey, there's a city made of this stuff, it would be hard not to think, well, that's possible, given how yeah, much no, no, it's super. Yeah, I think it's super plausible in terms of um, like just, just his, historically, right? Like being that person at that time and hearing that, like... You know, it's a new land, and you see all this gold, and then someone's like, "Yeah, by the way, we have a city of it." You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I get it. Um, so I think, I think that this is just, but this is a really good example of like the plausibility. We can see where this comes from. Like, we can see, how, like, you were talking about telephone. Even mm -hmm. just the origin of this, like, I completely understand. Like, I'm like, yeah, I could see this being created. I get, I get why it would be. Do you think it actually existed? No. No. Um, I think I think though that there's such an abundance of gold that um, I'm wondering if there was like a wall or something like a like a mosaic even made out of gold, and then it's like oh yeah like that's not a big deal, and then it's like oh my gosh what if there was like a whole city of it you know and then it kind of spiraled out that's what I can see. Mm -hmm. Like they found the actual lake, which is the most interesting part to me. Like as described in the legend. Almost to an insane detail. Lake, and I want to pronounce this correctly, but I'm probably not going to, Parim, is an actual lake. And that lake is almost too much of a coincidence, exactly like how they described where the city was next to. <laughs> like, <laughs> almost to an, it can't possibly be that accurate like level you know so that may, really makes me wonder like why <laughs> why say why make this up but use a real place 
if it's made up like we're assuming it's made up i, I think right all right do you think the legend do you think this is one of those like punished by god cities maybe and the legend just isn't complete i don't i don't know too much about the actual legend that was spoken i don't know a ton about the the legend either yeah unfortunately it doesn't but it doesn't sound like that was or, or like i know well you were saying that like they went there and they didn't find it so it might be a case of like the disappearing city the moving city the one that you can't find mm -hmm. you know it might be more like that All right, I think I've found the legend. I'm going to read it. The Kanoa was carried down the stream at certain of the Guians, met it at the same evening, and having not at any time seen any Christian or man of that color, they carried... Oh my gosh. <laughs> Maybe I won't what? read this. <laughs> is, it, is it racist? Is it just straight up racist? <laughs> um... No, it's just, there's a lot of stuff I can't pronounce, and I'm just going to oh, be hacking and slashing enough. my way through it. I, I, I don't know, like, I know it's depicted. Some people believe that if it did exist, it couldn't possibly made, be made entirely out of gold. Right? Like, there had to be some sort of stone or material there, and that maybe when they said city of gold they meant like lots of gold in it or inlaid with gold right. or something like that right i see a lot of that approach because i don't know if people at home might know this but gold is not a great building material it just doesn't work it's super heavy and it's not very durable and that that means it's not very good for much but jewelry <laughs> yeah it's soft right yeah it's soft, it's not, it bends easily, it warps easily. Um, I don't think, now I'm not a person who studies minerals, but I don't think it can take a lot of weight on it. So like, building bricks out of the stuff, definitely don't think that would work. Not to mention living in a city of gold. You'd probably be blind in like a day. <laughs> I, I I can only imagine, right? I don't know. Like, would you even want to live there? Like, and the amount of work it would take. There is like, mine that amount of gold, forge it into like bricks and stone and shapes, and then build things out of it. It's ridiculous. At the risk of going like way too far off the rails, but I do know that in, um. Uh, like other conspiracy theories, so things like ancient aliens, um, gold is because it's conducive to electricity. So you have like, oh, maybe this is a civilization that had discovered electricity, and like that's that's why, like that's why gold is. So like in ancient aliens, for example, it's like that's why humans are like so obsessed with finding gold, or like because the aliens needed it to like build electronics, or like 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 weird stuff like that, right? So I don't know if it would have anything to do with that, but I think because the legend is so ancient, like before electricity was really known, that it did, wouldn't be put together. But I could see it. I could see it as something in like a more modern legend that way. That's the only property that it really has. That's like besides just the wealth, and I think the wealth is makes way more sense. Let's get into what these mean to us. 
Sure. What do all these places mean to us? Because that's what we can talk the most. We talked about these places kind of at least briefly what they were, their impacts. Like we, El Dorado has inspired thousands of movies and books and stories. Um, it's probably the second most popular one I've talked about here other than Atlantis. Um, Lemuria inspired an entire religion, or at least is the basis of it. Thule is everywhere. Um, what you might not as popular as some of the others, but is in a lot of writing and stuff. Like a realm of the pillars in a holy book. Um, and not uncommon to see a city like this in the sands, like Sodom and Gomorrah is another example. Destroyed by gods. What did the, what did these all mean? What do they mean to you? So I don't want to sound like a broken record, but but really what I said uh, near the beginning, and I've said a couple times, just that I, I think that people have this idea that things, you know, we, we come from this place where things are pure and uncorrupt, and now we are somehow corrupted, right? And you can interpret that however you like, um, right? Like in the modern context, we often talk about how, you know, technology or consumerism or whatever corrupts us. So that would be the modern context. But um, back in... Uh, I think according to the Romans, I know in a lot of history, but according to the Romans, the the good times were behind, not in front, right? So so mm -hmm. they had, you know, where, where we kind of have the concept of, oh, we're moving forward, we're progressing, you know, we're developing new technology and, and, you know, we're getting better at ethics, you know, fingers crossed, you know, these sorts of things. The The Romans, at least in a certain period, um, didn't believe that. They believed the, the, the best part of, of everything was was behind them that you know they had come from an advanced kind of place and now they were sort of not quite de-advancing but but they want to get back to that that other place right and and you kind of see this with things like the um um renaissance right where it's like you know this we want to relive the those ancient glory times even if the technology wasn't as good and we had less medicine you know you know um we still see see that today so i think there's some sort of collective unconscious or collective conscious that that is an effect in our storytelling and in our culture and history that has us thinking that things were better before and i think that might just have something to do with our biology we come from being you know pure babies and children and then we discover taxes and death you know like, like it's just unfortunate um so I'm, I'm wondering if that has something to do with it i'm also really yeah. fascinated by the flood myth by the diaspora myth by things like the sea people um, you know, things that like cut across all these historical, cultural, religious lines that are like, hey, we have a lot of this happening. I don't know if that necessarily means that, okay, now Atlantis is real, but I do think that it speaks to, okay, you know, this has happened in, on such a large scale that it's slipped into our stories or it's slipped into, you know, our, our psyche and that now when we um, talk about things, we sort of incorporate these. That That's sort of what I think. Um, yeah. 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 I, th I like to point I'll put in another one for you. Um, in a lot of cultures, and this is, uh, Theosophy uses this with Demiria and their 12 different types of men, but a lot of cultures have giants coming down or angels mm. coming down or creatures of some sort, demons in some cases coming down and mating with early humankind and producing a race. That's right. That's right. Uh, that has to be defeated and destroyed in some way, shape, or form. That's another one that's really common. And these shared common histories we will dive into in a future podcast. Wink, wink, subscribe. Um, but it is 
we talked about this in our first podcast, this kind of nostalgic longing <laughs> for these places. Mm -hmm. And now we're, we're fully back around again. And that's why I brought these, this kind of top topic up when we talked about nostalgia, because I felt like it really related. And I think you're describing exactly how it would relate. Um, people listening might've been like, why is Atlantis coming up in a topic about nostalgia? Well, here we are. What can we draw on in terms of how this has permeated culture beyond the grass is always greener? There was something we had that was great. We were a pure being. We were a pure self. We have to get back to that. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that a lot. Um, you even see modern examples of it uh, where make America great again. We were once this great thing. We have to get back to it. Mm -hmm. uh, Rome for a long time uh, was a big strong man argument where someone would come in and be like we'll be like Rome mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let me be in power and I'll bring back the Roman Empire or we'll be the new Roman Empire or we'll create an empire that's even better than Rome that's another thing you'll see a lot is people trying to Use these examples as something better. Like, we'll do something better than that. Because what's going on right now is worse than what they used to be. It's a utopia at the end of the day, I think. These places are unassailable uh, because they're utopias. They're described in works that have very little to go off of. Um... We look for them, but they're not there. Uh, we imagine them as great lost places that must have had great people behind them. And we clearly can't do that anymore. So something must be wrong with us now. And they must have lived in some sort of utopia to create this kind of society, almost. I don't know. I, I would say that's my best guess as to what we're looking at when we look at these kind of places. At the end of the day, it almost becomes one of those philosophical, like Plato's cave, Plato's Atlantis, at the end of the day, is what if a place greater than what is now existed but was punished for it. Like, here's all the great things about society, but it was punished for this kind of... Like, in El Dorado, they went there assuming it would be deserted. Or, like, Lemuria is just a continent, but then it became, oh, it's the birthplace of a superior race. Thule is like an island some guy said he found, and then it became like maybe the birthplace of another superior race. And Avalon is the the place where King Arthur will resurrect and lead Britain into a new golden age. It's kind of this belief that something good is coming. Something good was, and something good is coming if you find this place or find this thing or do this thing, almost. Would you agree? 
Yeah, yeah. Would you be able to create some sort of argument using this kind of like looking at like some sort of political, I'm sorry, philos philosophy based on this kind of phenomena? Like what kind of argument do you think then is being made with these kind um, of? I think it's, I think it's a little more psychological than philosophical. Um, sure. And not, and not that they're not connected right there, but like, I, I think it has, has a lot more to do about how people think and why. Right. So, so the, but the, but the, philo the philo philosophical questions I would ask would be things like, um, you know, what, what does that then say about humans? You know, are we, are we doomed to a sense of nostalgia for perfection? You know, are we, are we inherently perfectionists somehow? Like, are we just constantly searching for utopia that doesn't exist? Um, you know, or are we, are we scared of perfection? Right. Um, because, uh, in a lot of these, they're smitten by the gods. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I think those sorts of questions come to mind and they're partially psychological, but can definitely drift into that, that philosophy space. Of, I know. Yeah. yeah. I notice a lot of be, be happy with what you have. Like if you look at a lot of these, if they stopped at some point, instead of kept going, they would have been fine. But then God smite them. <laughs> at least that's the message you get, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, it's like almost condemning the human nature to want more. Mm -hmm. Like, want more than you have. Like, look at this amazing utopia. Look at how great it is. But they kept wanting more. It's better than what we have. And they kept wanting more. There's a city literally made out of gold. And for some reason, they left it. Like, their greed... Like, like, from a very simplistic, greedy mindset, you would love to live in a city of riches made out of riches, right? In theory. Like, obviously, that would be a nightmare in reality. But, like, the, the city of gold is was probably more like not literal but more like, figurative in terms of like their lap of luxury right and what's luxury gold lemuria is probably the odd one out here in that it's the most modern one and on, on top of that it's just about lemurs <laughs> it's it all boils down to the lemurs and it <laughs> it was co-opted even more modernly to for a really strange use. But most of these are what I'm talking about. They're kind of like warning you that when you get enough, stop. <laughs> like Plato almost says like, look, you have such great things, but you keep conquering people and fighting Athens and angering the gods. Stop. And then you get destroyed. And he's like, Athens could be this, but we don't have, we're not conquerors, so we wouldn't be destroyed. It's almost yeah, like right. a double edge type of, like, it, it doesn't work <laughs> because you're telling people they'll be destroyed if they want good things. Uh, at least that's what it seems like to me. But it feels like he's trying to deliver two messages at the same time at the end of the day. Yeah.
Alrighty. I hope everyone enjoyed listening to that. Join us next time. Again, like, comment, subscribe, and have a good time. I'm your host, Andrew Ryan, and this is my co-host, Colin.